This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Empire. The NFL is trying to modernize the game in safety. For the first time this year, we saw something that we, we guessed that we would see at some point, which was uh, uh, helmets built specifically for a position. So that specificity for offensive linemen took into account that offensive linemen see the world differently. That's Jeff Miller, Executive Vice President of Player Health and Safety at the NFL, where the data and the tech are pointing to an overall safer brand of football. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. We got a real Hollywood story at this Super Bowl with the all-in Rams against the ahead-of-schedule Bengals. Playoffs have produced a month full of nail-biters, and it all culminates in the league's latest palace, the modern SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. The popularity of football has never really been in question, but as the long-term effects of injuries became a major issue in the coverage of the league, the long-term vision of football was certainly tested. So the NFL responded, and what they learned about their game is fascinating. Our guest this week is Jeff Miller. He's the NFL's executive vice president overseeing player health and safety. And there is a lot in that realm that is happening in the league, including a special episode that recently aired on the NFL Network called NFL Explained Innovation in Player Health and Safety. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Uh, Happy to be here, Bram. Thanks for having me. Obviously, this has been a big, big topic for the NFL for a number of years now. Um, what can you tell us in terms of innovation? Give us some broad strokes of, of what is happening around the league to try to protect players' health. Yeah, for, for a number of years, the league's number one priority has been the health and safety of the players. And obviously, football's contact sport, unfortunately, a byproduct of that are some number of injuries every season. And so it's, it's our goal to drive down those numbers of injuries wherever possible. And the severity of those injuries. And so we have an, uh, a number of, of different platforms and work streams that go against particular injuries to try drive down concussions, which have been down 25% now over the last couple of years. Hamstring injuries, knee injuries, anything you might imagine. And, and that work takes us into lots of different interesting places. We deal with all the medical experts you could possibly imagine, biomechanical engineers, experts in material science, talking to different industries to produce better equipment, understanding with data scientists and others what's happening on field. So it's a fascinating effort. Um, pleased to be a part of it, and I think we're making some progress. Um, before, because when we often talk about player health and safety, often it goes directly to head injuries and concussions, but you just mentioned other types of injuries and truly the unavoidable ones, knees, hamstrings, that type of stuff. Why are those down over the last few years? Have you been able to figure out why that's happened? Well, it's, it, that's, that's part of the effort here. Right. We know that uh, games lost as a result of lower extremity injuries like groin strains or hamstrings keep more players from playing than any other particular injury. 
to your point, concussions get the most attention and for good reason. And that's why we spend so much time and effort on those. But on a game in, game out basis, ankle sprains, knee ligaments, hamstring strains are things that um, the devil players. And so we're taking a long look now with sensors on players in the preseason, what their acclimation period looks like. They get up to playing games, looking at how uh, different teams uh, get players ready for preseason games, what they do during training camp, what the loads are on those players, how much they're running, how much time they're spending on field, whether or not um, uh, different practice regimens you know, are beneficial to their health and analyzing a substantial amount of data uh, with all of those different data points across all 32 to try to find what patterns and practices could work best on a going forward basis. And some of that work um, is is in progress right now as we think through what the next season is going to look like and what the preseason is going to look like there. Because one thing we do know about these injuries, the lower extremity injuries specifically that you mentioned, once you get one, as any of us who are weekend warriors know, once you pull your hamstring, it takes a heck of a long time to get over it. And those right. things recur. You see the same patterns. You see the same patterns with NFL players. Um, are you, you just mentioned, which is, has been a word that's become universal in other sports. I haven't heard a lot of it in football and I, I want you to expound on it for a moment. Load management. What, what have you learned about load management as you kind of think through a season for a football team and football players? Yeah, it, it is a really big topic that doesn't have any one particular answer yet. We've worked with all the clubs at this point and we'll out for them what we think is the best way to acclimate players into the environment that they're going to be playing games in. The first couple of weeks of our preseason, right when they come to camp, up and in, into the first preseason game, is the area we have the most concentrated amount of injuries, all injuries across all categories. And so what can we be doing differently to get players into a place where they can have the success, get to the place they need to be, and at the same time have fewer injuries? Some of that's an acclimation period, you know, ramping up day over day, week over week, potentially taking off days in there as well. And then when we get to the contact integration part, which usually happens a few days after the players have been there, again, we see a spike of injury. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. Players haven't hit each other in a long time. They haven't tackled, they haven't blocked. And so they're using muscles, in poses, and behaviors that they haven't normally been in. How do we get to a place where we can introduce contact into the game in ways that can minimize the amount of injuries knowing that there's contact. And I'll give you one particular insight to illustrate this. We've seen from the data that a lot of the players, it's more frequent that if a player doesn't participate in a preseason game, that he's likely to get injured early in the regular season than those who actually participate in the preseason. So there is some notion, and I can't give you any specifics around why this is necessary, but there is some notion that players have to get to participate at least at game level speeds and effort at some point. And that has some level of insulatory effect against injuries over the season. And so these are the sorts of things that we're sharing with players, with coaches, with the training staff, with the team. There's a million more insights, some of which continue to mature. But as we learn them, we feed them back to the coaches and others so that they can incorporate them into their, into their practice plan. Do you think some of that is what muscle memory, that if you're doing this on the fly in a real game, that there's just a higher propensity of doing something in your technique that is wrong that may end up in an injury? Is that what you got? Is it almost like riding a bike? You need to be out there a little bit, even if it is the preseason game? It could. It certainly could be that. It, it certainly could be that. And and But the amount of exertion overall that a player has to engage in, it's difficult to reach those levels unless you're in an actual game. I'll give you one specific example when you take a look at why some hamstring injuries occur. 
when somebody's training, they could be working as hard, working out as hard as they possibly could, you know, and they're running peak speed and you run 40 yards or whatever it is, you slow yourself down over a number of steps in a game, in a, in a, in a game situation, it never happens. You get the peak speed and then you cut yeah. on a dime. Right. And so the deceleration there may be causing more of the injuries than the acceleration and getting full speed. It's not something that's unknown to the sports medicine community, but how we incorporate uh, ideas like that with our player population, especially in that case, you know, speed receivers, players playing on special teams or others who may not see, you know, peak speeds and contact being jostled all along the time when they're trying to reach peak speed and then have to do that in a game situation if they haven't done it actively in practice causes potentially causes, um, you know, some higher degree of injury. So how do we get players in a way to a place where they can, you know, reach those game level interactions and yet not suffer the same level of injuries that they have previously. So that's the kind of work we're talking about in that. Okay. So there's some of the data. Let's talk a little bit about the, some of the innovation. One of the things you guys um, showcased was a turf testing machine called the beast. Can you, can you tell people what that is? Yeah, the beast. Um, this is, uh, no, no knock on Marshawn Lynch. Um, it's a, it's a machine that our, uh, biomechanical engineers who we work with a great deal, um, have designed, uh, to get a better appreciation for, for different characteristics of the turf that players play on. So one cause of lower extremity injuries, like ankle sprains, potentially knee ligaments is the interaction between the turf and the cleat that they're wearing. So if you have a better understanding of what the turf's characteristics are, what it can do, what it can't do, how, how thick that traction is, how difficult it is for a, for a player's cleat to separate from the turf, when um, you know a turf can act more like grass and, and not like divot, but give a little bit, you'll have a better understanding of what causes some of the injuries. And then you can actually work with a cleat manufacturer and, and create a cleat that is best service to integrate with that particular surface. And so what the beast does it goes around, you know, to every synthetic surface around the uh, around the league. Takes different samples of of measurements across the field to get an appreciation for how a synthetic surface surface actually performs in a game out game uh, game in basis. And then we can advise the players better about the sort of footwear that they would choose to wear, or which surfaces actually work better than others, and work with the clubs to potentially replace their surfaces with ones that are better for the players. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How about mouth guards? We've done a lot of work in this space uh, with groups that have been monitoring this and looking at that and finding that they are getting very good data about head injury through mouth guards. Um, what have you learned about the data gathering sensors in those devices? Yeah, the, the, the mouth guard sensors is a really interesting innovation 
that has helped us with a, with a really more precise understanding of what happens when a player uh, hits his helmet on field. So we, we have a long-term program now into its sixth year that we call the engineering roadmap, which was meant to understand better concussions on field and then figure out ways to intervene and prevent them. One specific way is to generate forming helmets. And so, unfortunately, putting a sensor or re reconstructing uh, by video concussions on field really it gets you to some degree of certainty around what exactly is happening to the player. And, that, and, and, and by that, I mean the forces, the speed, the direction, the magnitude, any number of different variables when that player suffers a concussion when he hits his head, which we measure currently. One much more precise way is to put a sensor much closer to his head, and in this case, the mouth guard. So we created. Um, a mouth guard which has electronics in it, sensors in it that fit a player. And many players around the league um, have experimented with wearing this mouth guard sensor, which is going to give us, so when they're hit, it's going to give us a lot more accurate data. So we have a better appreciation for what the head sees than any other way we can. And we take that data, um, uh, compile it, share it with helmet manufacturers and others to say, okay, this is really what happens on field. These are the, the hits that a player experiences. These are the forces that his helmet sees. What can you build to prevent against more of them? And that's helped in part um, a real significant evolution in the helmet industry over the last couple of years where we have seen helmets performing so much better than the other ones and protecting players at a much higher degree. And in fact, in fact, on that, uh, for the first time this year, we saw something that we, we guessed that we would see at some point, which was uh, a helmet built specifically for a position. So that specificity for offensive linemen took into account that offensive linemen see the world differently than, some, than a corner does, right? They have many more frequent impacts, but they aren't necessarily as dramatic as the one at the corner field. So for defensive linemen and offensive linemen, a company built a helmet to absorb more of the hits. Um, given the size and the frequency of those and the position on the helmet that they feel them, huh. that would hopefully keep an offensive or defensive lineman safer given his, you know, particular and very specific experiences on field. So the sensors help in all of that regard, giving us a whole bunch of data that we didn't have previously. And then how we integrate and understand that data and share it um, is bringing a little bit more safety to the game than we could have before. Let, let me ask you just a broad question about integrity of the game and the safety that you're talking about as well. So when you're building these helmets, um, I, I know this shouldn't matter, but design needs, I would think, to remain uniform, right? You want everybody to look like they're wearing the same helmets, don't you? Even if they are protecting people differently by position. So how do you kind of think through, or maybe this isn't your role, but how do you think through the safety part of this, the innovation part of this, and the integrity part of it of the look of professional football? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and I think that there's been a bit of a transformation culturally among the players, coaches, and others around the league around helmets. Because when we started this project a few years ago to try to encourage development in the helmet field, and again, we don't develop the helmets, the helmet manufacturers do. And we've gone through a whole lot of um, work to encourage both new entrants into the marketplace as, as well as new development in the helmet industry. We've seen changes in how those helmets look. And that's probably taken a little bit of time for people to appreciate. And the players have gone from, you know, choosing helmets you know, based on the ones that they always wore, they, they wore in college, to now um, having an appreciation for choosing the one that is probably the most protective for them. And the way we get that information in front of them is we create a chart. It's based upon um, 
reflecting what happens on field. As I mentioned, the force, the magnitude, direction of impact. And then we replicate all of that sort of experience in the laboratory and we test helmets in a laboratory testing that is meant to reflect what happens on field. And then we rank those helmets for the player population. We do this all with the Players Association and their uh, scientists as well. And then we give that information to the player and say, hey, look, these are the ones that are best and most protective for you. These are the ones that perform better in the lab and you're probably going to have better outcomes if you wear these. And we've seen players go from about half of the players wearing the best performing helmets a couple of years ago to 99 plus percent of players wearing the best performing helmet. So in a really short time, players have chose begun to choose safety. And they've done that because we've shown them that there's a correlation between what happens in lab and what happens on field in terms of injury rate. Now, that changes every year. And so we've asked a lot about the players because helmets that were the best performing helmet a year or two ago are now in the middle of the pack this year because something new has come in. And so that's asking a lot of the players and the equipment managers and trainers, but the players have really reacted well to this and have become partners in, in the effort, which is really gratifying. And so when you ask about the culture and the intersection of innovation and design and look and competition, a lot of that is being put to the side in, and, and the choice around safety is coming first and foremost. It's not the only consideration, but it is, I think, the primary consideration and as we see helmets uh, evolve more over the next couple of years, which we will, they may start to look a little different. They may, as, as we get closer to position specificity against others, they may look a little different because different players experience the game differently. And if so, we're going to be asking more of the players to choose something that looks a little bit different than the last one. So it's a really interesting evolution in, in the players and the player association and all the engineers deserve a great deal of credit in getting us to this point in a really short period of time. Now let's talk about the game for a moment. Um, so there was a change and a move of kickoff rules. There are far less kickoff returns in general uh, than there used to be. So there's far less collisions there. The formations were changed on onside kicks. And while they're, you know, they're rare anyway, um, there are far less collisions that are occurring in that case. On the other side of the coin, um, there are many offenses that are running more plays than they used to. So there are more repetitions that are occurring within the game. Can you kind of talk broadly about the game as you see it, the way it's being played, and how the NFL looks at trying to keep people safe when there's more plays, but then there's opportunities to uh, prevent more collisions? Yeah, it's, it's a really important question, and it's a significant aspect of the work that we're doing to improve the health and safety of the sport. As we've learned more about what happens on field, by measuring it with sensors or reviewing injuries by video and reconstruction or sharing it with medical and scientific and engineering experts, um, we've begun to engage over the last few years much more substantially with the competition committee, which, as you know, is our rules-making committee. And so every year we go through a process throughout the season of reviewing injuries on field, reviewing plays and play types. And we come to them as the health and safety experts and say, hey, look, we're seeing a trend on whatever it happens to be, say the kickoff, to use your example, where we're seeing uh, many more injuries, including concussions, than you would see on, our, on your regular play from scrimmage. Why is that? Well, player, there's a lot more space and there's a lot more speed on that play. So players were engaging in, in more substantial impacts when, when they were blocking take the wedge, for an example. So a couple, two, three players even um, uh, on the return team were engaged in a wedge to, to, to you know, block for the, for the returner. And that is a substantial load being brought against the person who's trying to break that wedge. And we were seeing a substantial number of injuries um, on a relative basis compared to other plays. So we took that information to the competition committee and said, look, we're, we're, these are the injuries we're seeing on this particular play and on this particular behavior. 
explore strategy, what should we do with it? And the competition committee examined it for a while and said, you know, we can actually have this play without the wedge block. And it was eliminated. And obviously, injuries on that play dropped off as a result because that play, which that particular aspect of that play, which caused so many injuries, including concussions, was no longer legal. And so that was one example of a way to drive down some of some of those injuries. And we've seen other examples of that, whether it's defenseless receivers on field, whether it's lowering your head to initiate contact, the so-called use of helmet rule, um, which put the, the individual who was blocking using that behavior, where you're literally lowering your head and using your head a bit as a battering ram to initiate contact with somebody as a leverage point was causing a, a, an extraordinarily high number of concussions com- compared to the behavior that you would otherwise see if you were tackling with your head up. In fact, when people lower their head, we were seeing concussions at about 60 to 80 times the frequency that you'd see somebody who tackled with their heads up. Not to mention, you could put a lot of strain and stress on your neck and on your spine, which is obviously you know, putting you at risk for catastrophic injury. So that's where that rule came in, to take that behavior out of the game. And so that interaction between the health and safety side, showing the data that we're able to model uh, for the competition committee and then removing some of those dangerous behaviors or riskier plays or modifying them to your point out of the game has shown and led to a decrease in concussion by about 25% over the last couple of years. And I don't think it's made a change to the integrity of the game. We've said at the outset, and a lot of people questioned it, we can make the game safer for the players who play it and no less exciting. And a lot of our cynics said, yeah, I'm not so sure you're going to ruin the game. And I think we're in a pretty good place uh, on that right now. There's a lot more to do to the point we discussed earlier around other sorts of injuries, including head impacts that we want to measure and and diminish uh, on field. But it's become a really good collaboration between us and the rules-making body to try to make the game no less exciting, but safer for the players who play it. Obviously, the primary goal is to keep the NFL players safe. Is this information, do you foresee, or are you using it to filter down to college or high school programs to try to show them new data for keeping their players safe as well? Yeah, it's it's an increasingly important aspect of the work we do. We do some research currently with with a number of colleges including the mouth guard sensor and some of the other devices we discussed. And certainly the helmet, uh, the improvement of helmets has, a, has an equally significant benefit to the players who are using those at the collegiate level. And some of the designs, some of the helmets are now being applied to the high school and youth level. Some changes to them, of course, given the you know size and, and, and age uh, as appropriate. But as we change rules based on health and safety, that also is, has a waterfall effect down into the colleges and into the high schools. And we speak with the colleges as a whole, the conferences and the NCAA both, with some regularity around rules changes and what we're seeing from an injury perspective. So there's a lot of data that we collect that you know, and we and we have the ability to that maybe other levels of the sport don't. And so we try to do our best to share as much of that as we can. And the outcomes of that, whether it be equipment or training or rules changes, or just general education to how to you know train and practice um, in a in a better way uh, for our club. There's a lot more to do there, I think, and we're trying to get after that uh, increasingly. But as we get and learn more, um, we look to share it just as much as we can. All right, last thing: who you got, Rams or Bengals? Who do you got, Ram? I've worked for the league now enough years to tell you that I always root for the team that's losing for a close game at the end. So I'm going to go with that. 
<laughs> and not get and not get crosswise with either one of those clubs. Let's just hope for a good game. And the playoffs have been amazing, so let's hope that uh, the uh, the Super Bowl is too. Playoffs have been unbelievable. And if it if if it goes to form, somebody's winning on a field goal at the end of the game. That 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 would go to form it. for this year. I'll yeah, take I'll it. Take it. I'll take it. Uh, Jeff, I saw some stats. We've had something like thirty nine games this year. Uh, one on the final play of the game, which is which is a record. Um, I'll take one more. Let's get to an even point. Yeah, that'd be good. Jeff Miller is the NFL's executive vice president overseeing player health and safety. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Bram. Appreciate it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the next Future Sport Podcast, we'll focus on the levels below the pros and how the mindset of those athletes can be gauged. I heard it best described by an NFL scout only a year or so ago. He said, we like it because it, it tells us what's in the heads and hearts of athletes. And I thought that was just a really great way of, of uh, kind of painting that, what, what we look to do. Um, so it's been given at the NFL Combine since uh, mid 1980s that's Andy Priestley, CEO of Riser, where mental performance of top-level athletes can be scored. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.